You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, it's Adam, live and in person for you. Hey everybody, it's Adam, wonder who he'll interview. I can't believe it's been nine years since I last interviewed T. Oliver Reed. I'm beyond excited to get to catch up with this powerhouse performer as we discuss legacy and lessons learned, including his time in the Tony Award-winning musical Town, plus his latest project, Black Writers Amplified. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with T. Oliver Reed. Hi, T. Oliver. Hey, Adam. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Has it really been nine years? Yes. I was going back through all the <laughs> interviews we've done, and the last time we did an interview together was 2012. We were babies. Yes. Babies. Yes. I'm good. I'm doing well. How's everything with you? Things are good. Uh, I just moved apartments, so I'm still settling in, but I'm thrilled to be able to take this break and talk to you and find out everything that's been happening. Um, so I do like starting off my interviews talking about legacy. Um, so I always like to start with this question. X amount of years from now, when somebody mentions T. Oliver Reed, what do you hope people say about you? I hope that, I hope that they're saying he's sitting over there having something to drink. Uh, <laughs> but I'm still around. But honestly, I, I think the biggest thing would be I did what I could to to help the industry to continue to make more, to make room to make space for uh, the next generation of performer and, and help to mentor them as much as I could. That's great. And I think one of the things that you are doing now is uh, you are, are one of the co-founders of Black Theater Coalition. And yes. you have a new project with Broadway Records as well mm -hmm. called Black Writers Amplified. Yes. So um, can you talk a little bit about how you helped create Black Theater Coalition and how you and Broadway Records started this and sort of what you hope people get from, from uh, both of these ventures? Absolutely. Uh, well, with, for Black Theater Coalition, it's something that had been in the works for the past couple of years. So. Uh, my, one of my co-founders, Warren Adams, and I had been having, as he likes to call them, coffee dates for the past <laughs> the past almost two years now. Um, I'm not sure if you remember performer uh, Eric Lawan Summers. Uh, Eric passed away like two years ago uh, this past April. And we, Warren and I were continually in the same rooms because we were visiting Eric at the hospital or lots of mutual friends. So finally we sat, we were like, let's sit down. I had, I had, I had an idea and I wanted to run it by him. Uh, and it was for a performance series that would be something very similar to um, Encores at City Center or Reprise out in LA, but it would be all Black artists who are making this work. So not only on stage, Black and Brown Bodies, but in every area backstage, there would be producers and general managers, all of the design areas, casting management, what have you, all people of color making this happen. And as we started looking at a three or five year plan, we realized that there were just not enough people in some of the areas not to to use and reuse and reuse certain people over and over. And that for us didn't help change anything. We're sort mm -hmm. of in that moment right now where we reuse the same one or two choreographers, the same one or two directors, but to really make space for all of those people who are working in the industry who haven't had a chance to work on the, the level or the scale of a Broadway. So we started look, we kept working on that idea and looking at, how we could change those numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, and we realized that through apprenticeships and fellowships, that was gonna be a way for us to really 
really increase the number of working black professionals in the theater over this next decade. If you look at the numbers from 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 the earliest days of Broadway, there have been 17 black choreographers who've been able to work on Broadway, 10 directors of a play, 11 directors of a musical, two lead producers of a musical, and, you know, over the full history of uh, of Broadway in this country. And it's like those numbers are less than 1% in all those areas. So for us, it's about about changing those numbers. Uh, so we 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 filed for our 501c3 status this past summer in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. and got to work uh, with industry partners and accomplices, we like to call them, about doing what we could to change those numbers and to start to make a change in this business. Uh, that happened along the same later, I think sometime in September, maybe August, Van Dean reached out to Warren uh, about this idea. And I think that Van had been working on an idea with a uh, producer, a uh, black female producer, Jackie Bell, uh, this idea. And they came to us with it and it was like, this absolutely makes sense for what we're trying to do. It's about making sure that there is space and opportunity for for black composers and lyricists to have their work seen and heard so that not only on Broadway and those producers, but producers at every regional theater across this country can hear what they're doing so that we don't ever find ourselves in the place again. We're like, well, I don't know. I don't know any black writers. I don't know any black composers. It's like, we're going we're to send you the CD with yes. everybody with, so, with, with 20 plus uh, composers or lyricists or writing teams on there so that you can see what people and hear what people are doing right now, because we want to make sure that over this, over this next generation, there are opportunities and those stories are being told. So for us, it was, it seemed like such a perfect fit to have black theater coalition and Broadway records work on black writers amplified and make sure that we really are amplifying the voices and the visibility of, of these writers. Yes, I think that's terrific. And this and the CD is going to be a mixture of um, established and new writers. Yes. So, yeah, so, so there will be some writers that you've heard their names or you know their names well. There will be some very new, you know, right out of the gate. But it is about uh, it's about making sure that all of those all of those writers have the opportunity to be a part of this. Uh, and the goal is to have 20 to 24 tracks on on this CD and every year there will be more more writers. So as 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 more music is being written, as more writers are coming out of uh, programs, that the hope is that every year there will be something similar, maybe, maybe not 24 tracks, maybe 12 tracks, you, you know, as, as we move forward, but to continue to make sure that these writers, whether whether new or established, are getting an opportunity to be heard and 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 their music sort of and their music spread around the country through those CDs going to artistic directors, to producers, to directors, choreographers who are looking for, for new works. That's incredible. And now, how are you selecting the writers to be part of the CD? Because what I read in the press release, there is a deadline for submissions. Yes, the, the deadline is May 17th, and there is a selection committee that will be going through uh, and and helping choose those those writers or writing teams that will be on on the first edition of Black Writers Amplified. And where can people, how can people apply, um, you know, if they want to get their work on, on this compilation, how can they send in a submission? Yes, you can, they can send to blacktheatercoalition.org. 
Uh, and that's that's the English spelling of, of theater, theater, blacktheatercoalition.org. And on the site, there is there is a drop down for Black Writers Amplified. It's a, uh, under submissions and you can put your information there and it, it lets you know exactly what is needed. Uh, and that and, we'll, and we go from there. Great. Well, yes. I will definitely have that in the text of the podcast episode so people can easily find it as well. Brilliant. Um, yes. This is so exciting. With this CD of, of 24 tracks and 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 that that many maybe writing teams that, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of them actually get work produced at different theaters in the next couple of years. And they start they start working on the process of of doing readings and workshops and all of some of these these new shows and these new stories and that that will continue so that i mean we're, we're just at a place where it, we we cannot continue in that role that we were in where it was rogers and hammerstein right writing two or three shows a year and that's all that's what was being done right. there are there are so many of us who are in the business so many of us with different backgrounds and we all want to hear our stories we all want to see our stories on stage mm -hmm. and most of those stories whether they are whether they are faced with white actors or black actors or indigenous actors or Latinx actors or Asian actors, most of those stories are human experiences that we want to be a part of. So to make sure that they are, we're, we're making, we're making that opportunity for, for the black writers who are in the musical theater world. I think that's great because when you started mentioning the numbers at, towards the beginning of the interview, yeah. I mean, it was staggering how few black artists yeah. there were yeah. throughout the, I mean, throughout the history of Broadway and that's mm -hmm. a long time. So yeah. um, I think well, it's that's okay. Even, even with just looking at the, from 2010 to 2020, how many black composers were on Broadway? Zero. Wow. And that is that, that too is staggering. So for yes. us, it, it truly is about, about doing what we can to fix that, to, to remedy that, to, make sure there are opportunities for for black writers. Yes, that definitely is something that needs to change. I mean, that yeah. is that is like that is terrible that in the last 10 years there's yeah. not been one black writer on Broadway yeah. for a musical. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're providing a a platform for um for black writers because like you said, everybody's story needs to be heard. So, um I think it's great that you're doing it. And, you. Um, you know, you've been on Broadway. You've been in so many shows on Broadway. I mean, right before the shutdown and when Broadway comes back, you're yes. in Hades Town, yes. a Tony Award-winning musical. You've been on, you were in Once on this Island. Um, you were in um, uh, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yes. Um, uh, After Midnight. Um, and there's definitely several others that I'm, leaving out at this moment but what i want to know is um i mean how do you feel what's your experience been like at, you know as a black performer do you feel um that it's gotten better for you as as the years have gone on or you know and what can you talk about what, what, what I, do you feel yeah, comfortable I, talking about better i don't know i i i think that and, and I, I preface this by saying I, I feel fortunate every day that I've been able to, for the past 25 years, work on Broadway and have a career and, and 
and not have to do other things to support myself, but to, to be in a Broadway show and then in another Broadway show and truly make my life in this world. But it is, I think at some point there is a little bit of resignation that has to come with that, that this is, this is what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And whereas, and, and I, I say this with, with out ego or with as little ego as possible. If, if I had come to the, come to the city with the same talent that I had, I have, but I were blonde and blue eyed, Mm -hmm. I would have two Tonys by now. Mm. And so that, I think, I think that for, for lots of, of, of non-white performers on Broadway, that is, that it really is the lot that you say, this is what it's going to be. And either you're okay with it or, or you move on. And, Mm -hmm. and also it's like, there's, there's for, for, you know, black, I, I can, I can speak for black men, for black men, there are, you know, for every generation, there may be two or three who really sort of are their talent and the opportunity sort of place them in, in on the pedestal uh, from the work they've done. And there's, there's, there's less space for, for black men, black women, Latin men, Latin women, not to mention then we, as we get into uh, our transgender brothers and sisters, there's like no space. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do we make those changes so that, so there is opportunity for all. Uh, but for me, yeah, it, it is, it is, it, it's a bittersweet thing because you, you have to at some point come to an understanding with where the business has been mm-hmm. and either that's, either that's going to be okay or it's not. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've not had the, I've not had some of the hurtful experiences that we've heard about over the past year mm-hmm. uh, from, from, from professionals of so many, in so many different areas, whether we're talking, whether we're talking, you know, black queer men or Latinx, uh, transgender women, whatever that is, there's so many stories that we've heard and come out of, you know, things that have been hurtful and, and inappropriate. I, I've been, I've been fortunate that I've not had those, but I also think it's like, pe- I don't think, I think it's people are, are in some cases are a little afraid of me. So they don't say certain things to me, which is good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, but it is, it is definitely a, you know, it's, it's hard because it is, it is that, you know, you have to have a thick skin, but you also have to be tender in that way that you are emotionally open. And this business makes, makes it difficult because uh, there are, there are so many no's, there are so many, mm-hmm. there are so many moments that are hurtful, are mm-hmm. so many moments where you have to say, this isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. There, there's, yeah. there seem to be far more of those than there are moments of being able to say, ah, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have much more with T. Oliver Reed. Priceline presents Go to Your Happy Price. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a 
For the fourth year in a row, Don is partnering with iHeartRadio for Can't Cancel Pride, a campaign that has raised over $11 million for the LGBTQ plus community. Don continuously strives to celebrate visibility and inclusivity for all, and that means supporting amazing organizations like Centerlink, providing safe spaces where over 52,000 community members go each week to receive critical and life-saving services. Don is there for your home, or your home away from home. So visit Can'tCancelPride.com to learn more. Hey everyone, my name is T. Oliver Reed, and you're listening to Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. And now we're back. How does um, Black Theater Coalition differ from like Black Theater United, um, or do you work do you work in tandem, or are you really, or do you have different missions? Maybe we we, we have we have different missions. Mm-hmm. Our Black Theater Coalition's uh, focus is. Although we, we have performance series and other things that, and initiatives that we've been doing since October, our focus is on making sure that we are able to increase the number of working black professionals in the American theater by, by 500%. And some areas that just means you're going to hire five people. Mm-hmm. That's all that is. So mm-hmm. for us, it truly is about, about employment opportunities across the board. Uh, we do, however, like our, our goal has been from the very beginning to be able to, when we find intersections with other organizations, to be able to do that. So whether it's BTU or Broadway for Racial Justice or Broadway Advocacy Coalition, Black Broadway Men, Affect Change, whatever it is, when we find those moments that there are connections or intersections between our organizations, and, and we've all been on calls at, 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 at times so that we can we can remind ourselves and, and know that we are we are linked so that the steps we are taking will truly make a difference. So, mm-hmm. um, th- th- like, if there's something that that Broadway advocacy has been focusing on, and you know, we say it's a lot. Like, they have been so instrumental in the the online conversations that have happened. It's like, why why would any of the rest of us ever want to do that when that's what they have been doing and doing so well, and truly being advocates and looking at uh, the human experience and how we are mentally and physically and emotionally making our way through this. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that we are focusing our efforts and supporting them in that way. And, and the same with the other organizations as, as something arises like that, but it truly is about us all being able to, to find those intersections and ways to work together and support each other and the work that each, each organization is doing. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's great that you each have your own specialty, but yet, like you just said, if you do have, crossover you do work together to to continue with that change what can you tell us about um coming back to hades town you... i can tell you that it's coming back it's coming back <laughs> I, that i know for, that i know for sure <laughs> that is terrific yeah have you kept in touch with your like how often do you talk to your castmates during the shutdown? all the time i mean well less less talking more texting we have we have a couple different uh text chains so one is a chain that has everybody who wanted to be on it who was in the building so that's crew that's band that's cast that's stage management that's wardrobe whoever wanted to and had and, and put their numbers on it they're all on one text and then there's the uh the original cast we have a separate one as well but it's it is it is a at least once a week it's someone's birthday or something's coming up you know in the past couple of months it's been okay so if if you can get you can get your vaccination here or this is going on so if you're if you're working you know for a not-for-profit they can they can put you on their list like all these mm-hmm. things so there there are always lots of conversations that are going on 
or the cast, but also our, our producers are in contact a lot with us, mm -hmm. which is great just to sort of, you know, even if there's no information for, for a producer to say, there's no real information, but I wanted to make sure you knew that is, uh -huh. is a, is a, is a great thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, it's great to hear that, you know, from, you know, the top of the production with the producers all the way down to the cast, you're still, you're getting informed. Like you just said, even if there's no information, yeah. at least you're being told something as opposed to nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we can't wait for the day that Broadway comes back and the curtain rises and we get to see you on stage again, yeah. singing and dancing. Thank you. Thank um, you. Me too. I'm looking welcome. forward to it. So let's, um, let's move into some, uh, Lessons learned. Actually, before we go to lessons learned, I do have a question um, from one of my Patreon fans. Mm -hmm. um, so Alex asks, why is it important for productions to cast people of color in leading parts beyond niche casting? Mm -hmm. You know, like we're ready to have a black uh, Satine yeah. or a Hispanic Maureen or an yeah. Asian Elphaba. Mm -hmm. But do you think producers will ever accommodate that on a mainstream and concurrent level? I think if, if they know that that our money is going to be behind what we're saying, they absolutely will. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, for a producer, it's about making money. And if they know that we've we've all said we want to see this on stage, I want to see I want to see a black satin, or I want I want to see a transgender uh, satin because if if she they can sing it, I don't care. I want I want the story to be told, and the same for any of these other areas. I I think that has a lot of that will change when we have more people behind the table who look like the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's and and if we when when we have more more Latin and Black and Asian and Indigenous and Indian producers mm -hmm. and casting people and and directors and choreographers, we will start to see our stages look differently because mm -hmm. when when you are when you are a room in a room and everyone in the room is white, you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to see that something is missing because that's not a part of your world. Mm -hmm. When you then have a black casting person or an Asian casting person, you may have that moment of like, whoa, 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 whoa. There, there are eight blonde girls there. Is that what we really wanted? Mm -hmm. Or we need to see more people. We need to see more, more ethnically and what we're casting because then if you're seeing all of that, you're bringing all these people in the room, then you can just cast the best people mm -hmm. as opposed right. to saying, we, we, we need, we need to do some stunt casting. We're going to have one black girl and one Asian voice. Like we don't, we don't need that. Bring in everybody who's right. And whatever, whatever that means, because in this world we live in now, and unless there are familial connections, anyone can play just about anything to mm -hmm. so bring in the best people, hire the best people, and build your show around that as opposed to I need this show to be this because it's always been that. Well, right. either don't do that show or or find ways to retell that story in a way that looks more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I I and and um Black Theater Coalition is going to help get those people behind the table. Absolutely. That's that yeah. that is the goal because again, yeah, if when and and for us like it is Black Theater Coalition and one of the things we said early on is like you got to you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help anybody else. Mm -hmm. But the goal will be, you know, in, in years to come that it is not only not only us looking after black artists, but being able to work, you know, in tandem with 
organizations that are focused on on Asian and Pacific Islander representation, those who are looking for Latin representation so that we are able to all be able to be sitting at the table and say, okay, we got this covered or we need to work on this for all of us. Uh, but for now, I got to put, I have to put the oxygen mask on myself and help my people. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now let's go to, let's talk lessons learned. Mm -hmm. um, so what is one mistake you made early on in your career that became a life lesson you take with you to this day? Don't spend all your money at Prada and Barney's. <laughs> that is a good lesson to learn. Listen. That is, listen, I, I have to say, like, I still have some good pieces from, from those years, but I, I thought so many times, like, if I had not spent so much money in, in some of those, like, I could have I purchased a brownstone 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever been fired from a show? And if so, what did that moment teach you? My first show, my very first professional job was the uh, non-equity bus and truck of once on this island 8,000 years ago. And there was at one show, the, the young woman who was playing to moon, uh, she just, she couldn't go on and just had, you know, had a, a panic attack and they wanted to put on the understudy to carry a script around. And we were all like, no, absolutely not, not doing it, not doing the show. Uh, and the producers came, that was on a Saturday night, Monday producers came, fired all of us, rehired us all on Tuesday, but fired us all. It was that thing. It's like, you got it. You, you, you are only in control of you. Right. And, and that was, a, that was a lesson for me. And it's like, don't, don't get yourself in that situation again, always stand up for what you believe. But it's again, the producers are here to make money mm -hmm. no matter what level it's on, no matter if it's, you know, a non-equity bus and truck or regional theater or on Broadway, the goal of the producers is to make money and, and, and not thinking, you're know, thinking of it, looking at it now for an entire cast to say, nope, we're not doing the show and all walk out of the building with an audience about to walk in. It's crazy talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's something you have learned from a co-star or castmates? Uh, Tony Award winner, Emmy Award winner, Grammy Award winner, Andre the Shields, uh, in, his, in his Tony acceptance speech said, uh, said, the universe is conspiring with you. And it's something that I say daily, mm -hmm. sometimes multiple times a day to remind myself that the universe is conspiring with me and all those things that I, I, I want to accomplish and am set out to accomplish. So I just, that, that's the thing that's, that's it. Mm, that's beautiful. He's so amazing. It must be like so thrilling to work He's with okay. him. He's okay. He's <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, one of, one, listen, one of these days he'll get it. He'll get it right. You know, yeah, right, you know right. no, he is, he's, 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 he's truly He's truly amazing in, in every way um, as a human being, as a performer, as an artist, as a craftsperson, uh, as as a philosopher, as the sage that you go to when you when you need to hear something. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going to be what you want to hear, but it's going to be the truth. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's no, he's 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 an amazing human being. Yes. Um, and the last part of lessons learned is what's something you wish you could tell your younger self that would have saved you from a mistake or heartache, either in life or your career? I don't know. I don't know that there, I don't know that there's anything because I, feel, I honestly feel like some of those heartaches or life lessons are things that I needed to learn to make, to, to become the person that I am now. Mm. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop myself from any of those things because they've all helped make me who I am. 
except for the spending all that money at Prada and Barney's <laughs> and and all those drinks that I, I paid for at Splash all those years. Those things I would say, pull back on that a little bit. I love that it keeps coming back to that. <laughs> <laughs> listen, it, 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 if we're, listen, if we're talking about, you know, some generational wealth, which is something that that most people of color have been who have not had the opportunity. It's like, mm-hmm. it is like figure out those ways early on. It's like, have a good time. You just don't have, you don't have to have the best of times all the time. Mm-hmm. Have three drinks, buy one pair of shoes. Right. Not you know, 12, not 12. <laughs> like, do, do, do you really need three pair of Prada loafers? You got two feet. I mean, really. <laughs> very true. Very yeah. true. But you know, you could also have been in the mentality. Well, what happens if, you know, I yeah. spill a drink on one of yeah. them. Well, see that that's always that's something that's always been a, a part of my life. It's like if you can't afford to lose it, you can't afford to have it. Mm. So it's that kind of things. Like if you can't afford for some, because <laughs> once years ago, I remember I I just bought this. It was this 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 winter white, this off white like puffer jacket, and I'm walking down Eighth Avenue. First time I put it on, I felt so good. And some woman turned the corner and ran right into me with her red lipstick. <gasps> And uh-huh. I, literally, I literally was like, it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, I, I could be really upset, but it's that thing. It's like, things are going to happen. And things are going to happen in this life and in this world. And if something is that precious to you, that's not another human life. Mm-hmm. Y- you need, you need to reevaluate. Mm. So yeah. it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Yes. Yes. Well, let's, um, let's change up the tone a little bit and yeah. do some rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. Cause I like to find out. About my guests that way too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with favorite TV show. Jeopardy, no doubt. But I miss Alex Trebek. Like all of these, mm. like they had, they had Katie Couric, and they've had all these people on there. None of them, they're all fine. But Alex had this, this, this knack for being petty but smart and enjoyable all at the same time. So mm. yeah, Jeopardy. Favorite musical? Hades Town. Yes. And favorite musical that you have not been in? Favorite musical that I have not been in. Okay. Um, Ragtime. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. I have to say, uh, well, there are two things. Favorite movie, all-time movie is Marie Antoinette. It's black and white with Norma Shearer from 1938, I believe. Favorite current movie is Justice League, the new Zack Snyder four-hour and two-minute version. I've, I've watched it like I watched it five times in snippets over the past couple weeks since it's been out. I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh. I, I can't, I, I, I don't even know what to say to that because four hours is, but then I think to myself, well, I'm trying to watch 20 seasons of Law and Order SVU. See, so thank you. I get it. And literally I, I'll do like half an hour to an hour maybe. And, and then just sort of keep going back and forth to see what I, what I missed the first time. But yeah, it's, it's, uh-huh. It's really great, and I love. That there's so much backstory, and I'm mm. a huge, I'm a huge fan of exposition. So, for me, it's like it's great. <laughs> yes. And favorite play? Uh, a few from the bridge. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Favorite cereal? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mmm. Yum. Favorite game show? Jeopardy. Still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite board game? I hate board games. Oh. I really, like I don't like. Okay, well, can can we say that you don't know Jack on the computer is in in some ways a board game? Yes. Okay, then you don't know Jack. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. And your go-to karaoke song? There is not one. I sing for a living, so the last thing I want to do is go and sing for karaoke. I have yeah. to say that has been one of the most eye-opening 
things to me is uh, I've I've had a lot of performers tell yeah. me recently when I asked that that they don't do karaoke because they do it for a living. It's it's truly a thing. Like one of my one of my friends said uh, a couple years ago, and it was like it's so that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's a costume designer, and he used to love to go out dancing, and he was good friends with with uh, Robert LaFosse years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was always say to, uh, to Robert, he's like, let's go out dancing. He's like, I dance for a living. I don't want to do it in my free time too. So yeah, and that was really was that thing. It's like, that. that's why I don't like to do it, I guess. I So I will go and enjoy other friends singing karaoke, mm-hmm. but it's rare that I'm going to do it myself. Mm. And your go-to emoji when texting. Is this an R-rated show or is this PG for the kids? Uh, I mean, I can make it R-rated by adding the explicit well, I symbol. Think, <laughs> well, I, I think for all of us, you know, a, a peach and an eggplant always goes a long way. But otherwise, it's always the clapping hands. Like, I, I love the, the two little hands clapping all the uh-huh. time. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, all right. Well, we are up to the final question, which is always playing off of my podcast, Bearing yeah. It All with Call Me Adam. Uh, so if you were to bear it all and reveal something about yourself that you haven't talked about previously, what would you share with me today? I, I think maybe the thing that I haven't talked about is I won't nec- I won't call it being blacklisted, but not work, not not being cast by certain offices for uh, a little while because of, of a remark that was made true though it may have been it's like it was you know there are things that can happen in this business and you have to be willing to stand stand up for yourself and what and stand behind the words that you speak Mm -hmm. uh and the human being that you are or want to be uh and sometimes everyone's not going to understand them Mm -hmm. and and that's okay Uh, on the other side of it, it it you know the universe will will work it out and that's that's what has happened but to to know that with whatever is happening in your life there there they're gonna be there may be missteps there may be stumbles there may be whatever but it's all always about for me it's like you either you either succeed or you learn the lesson there mm-hmm. is no failure you mm. succeed or you learn the lesson that's a good way of looking at it you have to otherwise it's like it is that it's like i feel like you you, you find yourself beating yourself down because it it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen it's like no it happened exactly the way it needed to happen mm-hmm. and you need to learn the lesson from this moment so that you are ready for the next thing. Mm. Yes. How long? How long were you um, sort of not not year to half getting cast for? Okay, year and a half or so. Yeah, which is which you know in Broadway dog years is a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I would not. I would not change what I said. Mm-hmm. I I would speed up the process of that 18 months because at, at the end of it, it was just like, I, I needed to have a conversation with someone and I kept hoping that things would change and they didn't. So I would have had the conversation that I had much sooner than I had. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the whole interview. So um, uh, where can everybody find you on social media? I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at, at T. Oliver Reed. Terrific. Well, yes. everybody listening, follow T. Oliver Reed on social media. Go to um, blacktheatercoalition.org. Yes. And um, uh, look at everything they're doing. And also, if you are a writer, submit yes. your work for um, being on the Broadway Records CD. Yes. And you have until May 17th yes. for that. And um here at the Broadway Podcast Network, we have thousands of hours of art and theater related podcasts, so keep listening. 
He'll get the dirt and the scoop and the story For he happens to be in the know Just ask anybody who's Adam, Adam Mitch for the business of show CallMeAdam.com Find more episodes of Bearing It All with Call Me Adam everywhere you stream podcasts. For my print and video interviews, visit my website, callmeadam.com. Follow me on social media at callmeadamnyc on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, if you really want to get involved, support my podcast on a deeper level by becoming a member of my Patreon family. Visit patreon.com slash callmeadamnyc. There, you'll get a variety of backstage perks, including advanced notice of interviews, the ability to submit a question to my guests, and everyone's favorite, swag. 